welcome to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Probapis. How you doing today, Nick? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm really sweaty, actually. It's hot out. Oh, I'm I'm really sorry. Uh, you you okay? No, it's like a of... it's like a good kind of sweaty. You know, it's kind of like uh, when the sweat really works and you feel cooled off. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had a realization this morning. Oh yeah. I was um I was looking in the mirror and I realized that I have the face of a much taller person. Like it's very narrow and thin, but I'm five six. <laughs> um and I'm just a little sad about that. I know I know height doesn't really matter in the long term. But... Well, it's fun to look down on people. Right. We're the same height, is the Really? Thing. I mean you're maybe an inch taller, but Yeah, don't you forget it. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> having lots of fun up here. I I'm sure you are. Yeah. Being tall is probably cool, except for when you have long legs. And Sam, Sam Newman was talking to me the other day about his right, long right. legs. He said his butt always falls asleep when he's he's sitting, and he thinks it's his legs' fault. Yeah. I mean, the problem is we're friends with so many very tall people, mm-hmm. and, you know, I am one of maybe the shortest people that we know, and, and that, that's always made me just a little insecure, to be okay. to be quite frank. You know, I, I just feel we should share this with our podcast listeners okay well i mean there's really nowhere to go with that thought because uh you know you should feel insecure for being so much shorter than everyone else so uh, yeah let's just move on yeah nick you've got a you've got a thing for me yeah i'm gonna start us off this week this is a comic that you actually lent me have you read it uh yeah this was our pack by ryan andrews i read that and i thought nick would love this yeah so this is a graphic novel uh and it's it's formatted in that way that there's chapters but it's not like single issues of a comic that are all you know a number of pages so this this book has the advantage of like working like a regular book and being able to split its chapters into you know sections of that makes sense and you know a part of the story might take as long as it wants mm-hmm. uh which is something i enjoy about graphic novels especially this one i definitely took a break you know about every chapter just to just to you know slow down because I, I was really enjoying this book um basically what's happening in this book is that you know i assume in our world but it, it's not really described is this you know group of kids and they have a pact to follow the lanterns from the festival down the river to see where they go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think an advantage of this book is that they don't show what the like their home is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because you're sort of just thrown into the situation, you sort of assume that it's similar to our world, um, but then you keep going and things get a little more mystical, a little more magical, there's like a talking bear, more abstract, like things happen, and you're sort of put to question if, like, is this because they found something magical, or is this because this world isn't exactly like ours? Right, and the kids just sort of accept it yeah. in a lot of ways, like this, which maybe is because of like a childlike sense of wonder, or yeah. just because you know that's how it is. And I like that that's left up to our interpretation. Yeah, me too. Because yeah. you get to skip a lot of the like, "Whoa, a talking bear!" Like I'm <laughs> reacting, and yeah, instead right? they just sort of accept it. Which and it's is... it's so much more charming that way. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Like it's it's so childlike and optimistic yeah. in this really cool sense. Yeah, I mean it's pretty straightforward. What, what happens is that uh, for the kids break the pact and this one you know the main character as well as this sort of left out kid a little bit bullied kid right, right. who's like a family friend um you know those two are left together and the more like nathaniel and ben all right good nathaniel and Benjamin, all right, right so ben's the main character um and he's left all his, all his other friends leave and this kid that they all sort of together leave out that's a family friend of ben's named nathaniel stays behind because he sort of wants to bond with ben he wants to be friends right um and, you know, Ben is throughout this book feeling a little guilty that he doesn't stand up for Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is, you know, not exactly aware of that. But, you know, by the end of it, you realize, you know, he's aware. But he just wants to be friends. I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Like, you've seen this before. 
Um, but also it's like just incredibly sweet and charming in like the way it tells its story. I yeah, think. yeah, no, I, I'm just saying that the, the basic of this story is that two kids, you know, one of which is misunderstood and bullied, is trying to make friends, and the other kid's like, I like this kid, and he actually gets along, but he's like, oh, but you're a loser. Like, I don't know, like, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of it, they go on a wacky magical adventure, and by the end of it, they're friends. Uh, you know, that, yeah. that's what it is. Um, and that seems pretty straightforward, but I think the really, the really good part about this book is uh, just the world it presents and the way it presents it. Some things I like a lot is that there's just like wacky characters introduced, like we said, without explanation, but they're really cute and charming. Like there's this bear man who yeah. just like wears a cool scarf. And he's interesting because he's not, I like him because he makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. way he's, I think he's supposed to. And there's, you know, there's a magic potions lady and she's a little more, I don't know. Villainous. Eccentric, yeah, but yeah. also villainous. But, you know, okay. you understand her. The other thing I like about this book is that you sort of fly through these these different situations very quickly mm-hmm. without having to like be bored of them or linger too long like you get this cool bear man and then they leave him for a bit and then you get this cool like lift system and then you get the magic witch and all these things bounce around really quickly and they all make sense and they're all charming but you never stick around to one of those things too long right it never becomes monotonous exactly they don't they never get caught up in their own world building and I you think. never know what's going to happen next like you know they're in this cave and then the waves get crazy like it's it all makes sense. It's never like, whoa, that was just a weird abstract thing. Like, mm-hmm. it, it all makes sense, but it's just very surprising, and it's always interesting to see the visuals and how it goes. Um, like, the, at one point, there's just sort of this this random array of characters that take up exclusively two-page spreads, uh, and they're wacky, and they take up, like, you know, six actual pages, and they're sort of just gone. <laughs> and, like, it just works. Like, it's, yeah. they're, they're established before, they're funny, and then, it you know, it passes, and it's good to look at. And that's what this book is a lot of. Um, yeah, I yeah. Mean, uh, the art is beautiful. Right, as I was about to mention. The yeah. art is sort of in an ink wash style with, like, you know, focusing on one color a lot, which, you know, you sort of see in some graphic novels a lot, like, oh, tons of blue, con- you know, contrasted with white. And then you have, you know, pages that are more red. And it's, it's so it sort of sticks to, like, a couple of colors at a time, but it ends up being very, very nice. Uh, I think we talked about it a little bit before. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And we've decided that it probably does have some digital stuff. In terms of coloring added to it or at least on certain pages yeah i bet but there are some pages that are maybe entirely ink wash yeah but it does look really like chalky and authentic like pencil marks and like like you see the ink wash it's just a really pretty book um and so the thing i like about this book is that it's it's pretty and i can appreciate these sort of fantasy elements uh but still be very engaged with the book because it it goes through it quickly and it goes through it sort of focused on these two characters and their journey Mm -hmm. um yeah, and I just really enjoyed it. By the end of it, I was you know there was a smile on my face. It didn't have a very strong impact on me in terms of like story. You know, I've seen this story before, but the world was nice, and it was good to sort of enter this comic and its art style for a bit. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. It's probably really good for younger kids. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it it's great at just like instilling a sense of wonder in anyone. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This was our pact by Ryan Andrews. I think that's a you know a podcast recommendation oh yeah definitely like you know on par with some other young young adult graphic novels that have come out in the years like oh yeah like you know um, i forget her name but the the smile series uh reina telgemeier yeah yeah yeah. i would you know this is up there with that definitely mm-hmm. very good oh yeah uh, i would give this to my kids i gave it if, to if you had any i don't have kids <laughs> uh, i tricked you <laughs> uh i i did give it to um one of our friend's little sisters though oh. and she enjoyed it so excellent that's good you know 
I think it's a great comic. Good to hear. Yeah. So um, on Saturday evening, I uh, I went to a midnight showing of uh, Galaxy Quest at the local theater. Yes. What is Galaxy Quest? Well, Galaxy Quest is a 1999 sci-fi comedy that is sort of a parody of Star Trek, but it's also very loving in that parody. It's about these washed-up actors from this TV show that is, you know, capital N, not Star Trek, um, called Galaxy Quest, and they get sucked into a galactic war mm-hmm. between these two alien races, mm-hmm. and the good aliens, the, the Thermians, uh, who recruit the protagonists into this war, they don't really have a conception of fiction or lies, right. so they believe that the broadcasts of this TV show, which they've been getting in outer space, are historical records, and so hijinks ensue from there. We've got, you know, Tim Allen, who's the main character, uh, and he's, you know, very egotistical, but over time he comes to sort of develop feelings for his cast members, uh, who are now sort of his crewmates, and, you know, it's this very sort of charming, I guess, validation of the idea of, like, fandom, and the idea of just, you can have a community created out of fiction and things that you love which I find really interesting and also really not cynical for something that you would think would be very cynical, you know? Like, it's it's this idea of just, like, yeah, if you love something, that can help you save the universe and also be a better person, which I, I think is sort of at the heart of the movie. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> When's this movie from? Uh, 1999. Okay. Which is why I was so surprised about it not being incredibly cynical about the idea of just nerds. yeah. So, um... Is it more or less ridiculous than Spaceballs? It is less ridiculous than that. Okay, I thought um, so. It's, its premise is taken more seriously in-universe, okay, I think. Yeah. Like, there is actual danger, and it's not just going through... You know how Spaceballs just sort of, at a certain point, just goes through Star Wars motifs and oh, yeah. makes fun of them? Sure. It doesn't really do that in the same way with Star Trek. Like, there are bits that, if you're a Star Trek fan, you would get that they're making fun of, but it's not all just, oh, well, this is a wacky thing you yeah, remember yeah. from the TV show. Um, I think it, I think it's got this really tight script. Like, there are elements introduced in the first act, and every single one of them huh, pays yeah, off yeah. over I the know course it, of the I movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just really tight, um, which I admire from, like, a screenwriting standpoint. Yeah, I really like when things are like that, where they, they pay off a lot, and you can go back and watch them. And... Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, if this movie came out today, it would probably maybe need to be a bit more cynical, even if it ended on, like, a validating point, because I think we live in an, in, a, in a time where it's generally recognized that, that nerds kind of suck in a lot of ways. Well, I'm glad you like that movie. Yeah, I would... How, I would, how would the midnight showing, how did that affect your experience? Uh, not at all, because I was, I was very awake. I think I would recommend it to people, even if you're not really familiar with Star Trek. I don't think it really needs, like, the... the recognition of those tropes mm-hmm. to get it <laughs> all right let's let's uh let's move on to the thing we both read this week although i guess we both read this was our pact yeah um okay so let's talk about house of x number one uh so this is the starting point joe what is house of x number one <laughs> i've never heard of it please explain <laughs> Uh, so House of X is like the starting point for the Jonathan Hickman relaunch of all the X-Men titles at Marvel Comics. Wait, is it, wait, it's a whole yes. relaunch? Uh, yes. It's like a year ago when they did like X-Men Golden and Blue. 
That was two years ago. Okay, uh, fine. It was two years ago. <laughs> Congratulations. It was X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue. That's uh, what I said. Yeah, and that, that era has, has come and gone. We're in the... Seriously? We're in the, the new age now. All right. <laughs> um, and so House of X is built around the structure of two weekly miniseries, or rather they're, they're each bi-weekly and they're running for 12 weeks. House of X is one... Powers of Ten is the other, but it's Powers of Ten spelled with an X. The Ten is an X. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, that comes out this Wednesday, but House of X number one came out this week. Uh, we've both read that, and we're going to be discussing that. Uh, I think we're going to be spoiling this issue. Yeah. Because you can't really discuss this without spoiling it. Yeah, um, and it's the first issue, so and it's I sort think, of like a pitch. Yeah, and, uh, and I think everybody who's sort of been interested in this has read it by this point. Yeah, so that's your spoiler warning for this. Uh, so I think, you know, as, as a diehard fan of X-Men myself and, uh, a, you know, a casual fan of Jonathan Hickman, Jonathan Hickman did the writing on this and Pepe Larraz did the art. I, w- I was very much looking forward to it. I was a little cautious because I, I did sort of like where the X-Men books were going before this. Uh, what, did, what did you think? Where, where were you coming in from this? Well, I didn't know it was a relaunch. I just know that you liked this comic, were excited, and handed it to me. Oh, I see. Um, and I saw the cover, and I went, okay, this looks like an X-Men, you know, event. I saw that it was a number one, and I was like, sure, sure, whatever. If Joe likes it, I'll read it. Right. Um, and I was sort of flung into it, and there's this weird tree that's birthing X-Men. And uh, I was like, okay. And then I kept <laughs> reading it, and it was all right. All of the art was pretty good. Everything made sense to me, and I was vaguely interested in where it was going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to do a little, like, plot of it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, basically, the idea here is that Professor Xavier uh, is back, and he has given this decree to the humans of the planet Earth, um, and he's saying that uh, all the mutants are going to live on their, on their own mutant island, Krakoa, uh, which has existed in continuity before, except now it's doing weird things, like making drugs and portals and habitats. So maybe there's some manipulation going on there, but we open on this um, this spread of all the X-Men going around and planting flowers, which we find out later are to create gateways and habitats around the planet Earth and beyond the planet Earth, because there are some on the moon and there's one on Mars, um, which we haven't seen in the story yet. Uh, and most of the story revolves around uh, a specific, basically, tour happening of one of the habitats in Jerusalem that Magneto is guiding for these these ambassadors and he's basically introducing them to this new world for mutants um, right. and what that entails and the idea there is that they've you know been brought here on some sort of offer from Xavier um, where Xavier's like hey I'll give you drugs to uh, cure disease and other things basically right. all the problems yeah so there's there's one that Extends your life five years, mm-hmm. which I don't really get for a reason that I'll get to in a moment. Uh, there's one that cures diseases of the mind, Alzheimer's, degenerative stuff, I took that to mean. Um, and there is another that um, basically acts as a universal vaccination. Um, and the thing I don't get about the first drug is that it seems like the second two would extend your life for a lot longer than five years. Because those two second things are like most of the reasons that humans die in the first place yep. you know <laughs> but then you get a bonus five years okay <laughs> i don't know i don't know so um, what's his what's xavier's offer to these ambassadors 
I mean, I think his his play here is that he is giving them access to these drugs in exchange for leaving Krakoa alone, okay. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because Xavier is basically saying, hey, you know, we've uh, been oppressed forever, but now we sort of have the upper hand here, um, except at the same time, we're just kind of, we want to live on our own. Um, and, you know, we're fine waiting for humans to no longer be the dominant species. Uh, because it's established in one of the data pages that is in this book, because there are a lot of charts, uh, that humanity is basically going to be outnumbered by mutants, overtaken mm-hmm. by mutants in the next 20 years, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a really cool element um, that is sort of inspired by uh, New X-Men by Graham Morrison, where it was very much a part of that, where mutant culture was going to overtake human culture in a matter of decades, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. I probably the the right direction to take the franchise if if this is to be like a permanent thing, uh, which you know it's comics, so it probably won't be permanent forever. But you know, it'll be interesting to have it around for maybe a few years. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any outstanding thoughts about this book? You know, I liked a lot of it. Was just you know switching around scenes to different characters and showing how everyone was reacting to these portals and exactly just the details on you know how everything was working. There's a bit where uh, Mystique and a gang of more villainous people are... What are they doing? Uh, they're stealing uh, data from Damage Control, which is like a, a storage facility mm-hmm. in this, on the base that the humans are creating around the sun. Okay. The Dyson Sphere. Right, so that's the most... That's like the villainous thing going on in this book, is that the humans are making a ginormous sentinel. Right, around the, the sun. Yeah. Which I think is very cool. Yeah, cool enough. But, and also I think puts the rest of the issue in a certain light because i think some people have maybe found the x-men's actions to be villainous here i know i was talking to my brother uh earlier and uh he's also read the book and he found uh them to be a little creepy which i think they're supposed to be but i also think that you know there's nothing entirely villainous they do i think yeah there's like because it's all put in the light of oh well the humans are building a giant sentinel around the sun you know sure i mean there's you know questionable things like cyclops is trying to take Sabretooth from the Fantastic Four. Right, and he wants to give... But Sabretooth has, like, committed a crime. Yeah. And should be imprisoned by the Fantastic Four. I don't know. Things mm-hmm. like that make it not exactly, like, oh, villainous, but sort of like the scene in the movie where, like, oh, look at this guy. This guy <laughs> yeah. with the monocle and the mustache is talking to this character in an odd voice. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's I mean, I, I, like I think... And Magneto, there's a, there's a point where Magneto is, like, at the end, he's like, you have new gods, which right. are us. Which yeah. is pretty which is loaded. ominous. That's loaded. Yeah. I I found that to be sort of a, a cheering moment for me because... Wow. B- because you like oppression? Is that why? I mean, I, I don't think he's specifically stating that the humans are going to be oppressed. That's true. I think he's saying... They'll take good care of the humans. I mean, I think he's saying, oh, well, you know, your time is running out. Like, someday when, you know, humans are no longer the dominant species on the planet, yeah. we are going to take our place. Yep. And I think that's empowering because, for one thing, he's saying it in Jerusalem, and as a Holocaust survivor, the, the background for that, you know, that, that's Magneto's position in, popu- in popular culture. Look, Joe, you, you don't tell thing. people you're going to be their god, non-threateningly. Let's be clear here. Oh, I think it's a threat, but I also don't think that it's... I think that it's sort of a, like, empowering point for him. Okay. And for, for mutants in general? I mean, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. But, I was, like, also, these are the moments where, make you know, you can see evidence for villainous mutants. Right. 
Uh, I am more put off by whatever Professor Xavier is doing than by anything any of the other characters. Birthing mutants are... from a weird tree. Yeah, because the very first thing we see is that there are these mutants coming out of pods and they're viewing Xavier as this sort of messianic figure uh, and he's standing over them and he says, to me, my X-Men. Yeah, And that's pretty creepy. Yep. I, th- I think we're supposed to think that's creepy. It is creepy. It's drawn in a creepy way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's some creepy things going on. You know, you get little hints at what what the conflicts coming up might be, but there's not really any conflicts in this book. Um, I think the closest we get to that are the interactions between the various ambassadors yeah. and between Magneto, and also just, you know, we have the setup of yeah, a conflict. Exactly. So what I like about this book is that it's set up, you know, this sort of situation, this world in a way, pretty clearly and in a pretty interesting way. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I haven't really been introduced to what the conflict exactly is going to be. I have some hints, but I really need to see where it's going next. So I'll right. probably pick up the next issue. Uh, just I as think... like another mm-hmm. thing going on, how do you feel about the, you know, the mutant, the code language and the, like sort of bonus material all over this book? Oh, I think it's rad. I know you I think, think it's, it's rad. the coolest shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I live for. Uh, there are charts and graphs sprinkled throughout this book and i think for one thing the way that they break up the pacing of the story is Mm -hmm. really interesting uh because you often after a key moment will get a chart that maybe explains some world building or some backstory that you wouldn't have a full grasp of otherwise um there are things that explain the world in more detail that i find really cool just because in x-men specifically there are a lot of things that have been left unexplained uh for really no reason and it, it makes things lose a certain amount of weight. For example, the idea of Omega-level mutants, which right. are actually explained very well in one of these charts, mm-hmm. have just been sort of one of those things where like nerds online will say, oh yeah, Omega-level mutants. Uh, Jean Grey is an Omega-level mutant. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what does that mean? What yeah. does that actually mean? It's just like this phrase we're throwing out there. Yeah, you know? I did actually know a little bit of Omega mutants before, but it, the chart helped me well first i mean it's a it's a comprehensive list of all the ones we know yeah yeah so that's you know helpful and i liked i liked just how it had all the information in one place sort of like a wiki or you know yeah what, like yeah. if i looked it up this is the answer i'd want it also really helps with the accessibility of this book which i think is one of like the key things about it yeah just like you know anyone can jump into this everyone you know uh in the comics community i think has been talking about this book and i think that's in part just because of how accessible it is okay. like anyone can pick this up my mom read this, and she liked it. That's not a joke. She did. You know who else read this X-Men comic? <laughs> My mom. <laughs> yeah, and also the, the specific chart about the Omega-level mutants pairs really well with the scene that comes before it, where um, in the chart, Franklin Richards, uh, the, the son of Sus- Susan Storm and Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, uh, he's highlighted. Right, uh, and if you didn't and... know that was... Yeah, and in the scene just before, Cyclops is sort of, uh, he shows up and he's sort of threatening uh, Reed and Sue with this prospect of, oh, well, let your son know that, you know, he has a he has a place on Krakoa when, you know, he wants to be there. Right. And he specifically uses the term family repeatedly, yeah. which I think is really interesting because it's, like, sort of a threat. Like, because the Fantastic Four, if anything, are defined by their being a family. Right, no, yeah. And now he's saying, well, we're Franklin's real family because mm-hmm. we're all mutants. Yeah. And you're not. Mm. Uh, and I, th- I think that's just really powerful, actually. Yeah, um, and then exactly. If you didn't know who Franklin was, the next page, you sort of have this, like, snippet of information that tells you. Yeah. And, yeah, you can just 
enjoy this story more because of it. That page also mentions uh, the idea that Omega-level mutants are Krakoa's most value commodity, which is really interesting, right? especially considering we've already established that they are focused on some degree of, like, commodification because of the drugs right. and the flowers that mm-hmm. we've introduced. Well, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point, but just because it's like, well, you know, it's this new nation, and they've got basically, like, actual weaponized human, like, superpowers. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... You know, that's that's sort of something to consider from the human side of things. And I think that's also why they're they're so determined to give um, give amnesty to even supervillains. Because yeah. I think there are a lot of, you know, villainous people who are omega level mutants and they want them on their side. It's you know, it's it's this idea of like, well, this is a fresh start for everyone, even people we don't agree with necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, something else I'm interested in is just, like, you mentioned the language, Krakoan, that mutants have created. I just find that really interesting. (laughs) I love when books do this, or when anything does this, where they create a language. Um, and something I mentioned on Twitter when this first came out is that I think the really cool thing about Krakoan is that even though in this particular issue mutants are sort of presented as this foreign idea like we're not entirely let into their society from like a first person perspective Mm -hmm. because we're seeing it through uh the viewpoint of these ambassadors who sort of view mutants as foreign uh you know we as readers can be more ingratiated into the x-men in the mutant culture because we can learn to understand the language by sort of breaking that code because a lot of people have done that online yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, and I hope we get, if anything, more of a focus on character in the future issues. Because right now this is a lot of setup and a lot of world building. But yep. we don't really have any particular grasp of any character besides Cyclops and Magneto. Yep. Which, to be fair, I think they're very well done. Like, those are pitch-perfect versions of those characters for me. There's not much. There's not much content, Xavier, no. right? Yeah. Oh. I mean, Xavier oh, you said Cyclops. You said oh, yeah, Cyclops, yeah. my bad. Um... I take it back. Everything I said. Yeah. I take it back. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Xavier is constantly held at a distance in this, which is really interesting. Something I want to mention, my boy, Cypher, shows up for one page. Oh, yeah. He's uh, doing something very useful, and it makes sense. Yeah. He's it's translating great. the Krakoan and network, network, I guess. Yeah. It's a sentient island. Yeah, it's a sentient island. He's talking to it, which is really cool. He's got a warlock arm for some reason which is weird but also interesting (laughs) (laughs) also something about this which you might not necessarily recognize as someone who isn't like caught up Mm -hmm. on the x-men books is that uh the the stepford cuckoos here uh the ones that we are specifically introduced to first they're sophie and esme who are the 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 dead ones (laughs) uh they died in grant morrison's run didn't know that and also banshee shows up for a page really he's also supposed to be dead oh okay cool so Um, basically they're yeah, which I think implies that either the the dead mutants or mutants who have been dead are coming out of those pods mm-hmm. that Xavier has, yeah. or they are somehow otherwise being revived. Cool. Uh, cool detail, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for telling me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool book, and I'm looking forward to where it goes. Yeah, let's uh, talk for... about it more in the future. Yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. I think maybe when this wraps up, we can have sort of a final discussion on it yeah. in, in October. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So moving on, we have a segment we do every week. Every single week. Every, all the time. I know uh, it well. Know it well. Yep. 
Uh, so what we're doing today is sort of a, a little game. Oh, a game, yeah, uh, I mean, and of course. It's called uh, Real or Fake Pokemon. You decide. <laughs> oh, I like this game. <laughs> Joe knows Pokemon. Right. I don't know Pokemon. Yeah. Let's let's play. Let's play. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to give you sort of three rounds, um, and there are going to be three Pokemon, and you're going to have to tell me which one is the fake one. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it'll be quick, yep. painless. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Uh, first up, Snorlax, mm -hmm. Lilligant, mm -hmm. Rockabo. Lilligant is fake. Rockabo is fake. Damn. Lilligant is real. <laughs> up next, yep. Chargebug. Yep. Swoople. Yep. Zekrom. Chargebug is fake. Swoople is fake. Damn it. <laughs> Chargebug is a little bug that looks like a battery. He's I, great. Okay. <laughs> Final round. Okay, I think I got it this time. Okay, so far our, our track record is is uh lose, for two. Lose, lose. I, I lost. Huh? Yep. That's our track record. Final round. Yep. Piplup. Gintop. Tapu Koko. Say them again. Piplup. Gintop. Tapu Koko. Piplop is fake. Gintop is fake. God damn Piplup it. God damn it. <laughs> Piplup is a little I hate dude. this game. I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that's it. I, I told you. It'd be well, quick and maybe not necessarily painless. That sucks. I didn't even win a single one. Yeah, I'm I'm really sorry, but yeah, that's okay. Wow. Um I got a quote for you. Oh thank you. I got a I got a nice a wise quote. Yeah, this is a, a Hemingway quote. And I think it was cut out of book or something. I don't I don't know where it's from. I th just I just think he said it. You learned a lot about a woman by not sleeping with her. Huh. That's it. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bordner and Nick Protobapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, and my Twitter handle is at joby underscore draws. You can read my webcomic Aeronaut at jobydraws.com. As always, Nick has nothing to promote. That is correct. Maybe? No. Oh. I don't okay. have anything to promote. Okay. <laughs> we'll be back next week. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It would really help out the show. Uh, be good to each other. Yeah.